0: Welcome to the Village Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Matt here with Dr. Eric. And on the Village Health Podcast, we're going to be talking all about the 12 key principles and things you need in place in your life to be optimally healthy, to lose weight, to increase energy, and to really optimize your body and your yourself so you can maximize your potential in in life. And today we're going to be talking about why most diets fail and what your hunger uh, has to tell us about dieting.
1: Yes, we're gonna cut right into the good stuff because that's what you're here for. So when you think about your hunger, is it something that is constantly derailing you, leading you to eat things that you probably don't want to eat? Or is it your single greatest tool to pick exactly the right foods at exactly the right time, exactly as your body needs them. Probably it's the former.
0: Yeah, I would say so. And, and I think when most people think about hunger, they view it as something they just need to work around to lose weight. It's like, I just wanna lose weight um, and I'll you know set up this series of rules for myself or measure my calories on my fitness pal and I just need to do whatever it takes to, to get the weight off.
1: I think most people would probably say if they never felt hungry, losing weight would be so easy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So our hunger really drives us, and it's going to drive us somewhere. And we want it to drive us a place that we actually want to go. So let's talk a little bit about healthy versus unhealthy hunger, what the difference is. And in fact, unhealthy hunger isn't even really hunger. It's actually a signal of something completely different. And what most people experience when they experience the hunger that drives them to make really poor food decisions is not hunger, but it's their body telling them that they are in an energy crisis, that their cells are not getting the energy they need, and they're crying out, not just in the body, but even in the brain, which is a desperately energy-hungry organ. And so those symptoms... We'll call them symptoms, which is different from a healthy hunger. Are things like anxiety, brain fog, dizziness, fatigue, heart palpitations, headache, irritability, nausea, shakiness, sweats, weakness. It's that dull malaise, blah, hangry feeling. And we feel it sometimes when we wake up, we feel it mid-morning, we feel it before lunch, we feel it mid-afternoon, we feel it dinner time. we feel it after dinner, we feel it late night. People in our society right now feel this way more often than not. And what their body is not trying to tell them is go eat a bunch of junk food. What it's trying to tell them is we're in a desperate energy crisis situation that needs to be solved. But the more junk food, the more snacking, the more of the kind of foods that we look for in that mode, the the kind of foods that are advertised, the uh, you know the, the Snickers bar, the Five Hour Energy, all these different quick fixes. The further we drive that knife into the wound, and the and the worse the problem gets.
0: And a quick way I think people can know if if this applies to them, if they're in an energy crisis, is to do a simple test. Um, can you go from breakfast all the way to lunch and not really be hungry? Like, can you arrive at lunchtime and be like, "Eh, I'm okay. And then can you go from lunch to dinner and the same thing, not be hungry um, and not have any of these other symptoms, like getting lightheaded, getting irritable, getting like shaky or getting weak. And I find that a lot of people we work with, they have that like mid morning crash where it's like, all right, I had breakfast before I left for work. And then by 10 a.m., I'm ravenous. I need my triple macchiato or uh, um, a donut or a, an energy bar, granola bar. And then lunchtime, the same thing. I mean, Snickers has, has done a phenomenal job of marketing their, <laughs> their <laughs> bar as a solution to the problem of energy. But unfortunately, that and many of the other solutions that people use are uh, quick fixes that actually make the problem worse.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a huge problem, and it really starts with just being able to identify that there's an issue here. And because we've made it so normal, because so many people have this, and because we laugh and we joke about it, and we have this word hangry now, it, it feels normal. It's socially acceptable to be in this very, very, very precarious metabolic place that leads us to a lot of really unhealthy behaviors. So the, the first thing really to do in, in solving this energy crisis is just to recognize that it exists. But you know maybe you're listening at this point and you can relate to some of those things that we mentioned, those, those hangry type symptoms. But you don't really understand why that represents an energy crisis, or, or when we say that your cells are crying out for energy, or that the brain is really crying out for energy, maybe that doesn't immediately make sense to you. Maybe you, maybe you think of the only thing in your body that feels hunger or tells you to do something is just your stomach and whether it's whether it's empty or not. So let's get let's talk just really briefly about cells and energy and especially about the brain and energy yeah um, go ahead (laughs) (laughs) so when we think about energy we'll usually think about that all-important energy unit the calorie and many of us have well, that will trigger a, a, a different response of what we think of as a calorie. For some people, there most people, they're, they're probably trying to get rid of calories and calories are like the enemies and they want, they want less calories and low calorie. And if they could have the food without the calories uh, or, you know, around the holidays, people say calories don't count, stuff like that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a calorie. It's just a simple, unit of measurement it's like an inch or a pound or a yard or a liter. It's just a unit of measurement it, it's not hurting anybody.
0: <laughs> so says you yeah,
1: yeah. and our body needs energy our cells need energy we've got we've got billions and billions and billions of cells and all of them have uh, little little powerhouses little little engines called mitochondria. And these mitochondria need certain compounds to, to go into them that they use as fuel. And then they turn those compounds into the fuel that our body can use to do things like move and think and all of the other cool body stuff that our bodies do. And whether or not those mitochondria are getting fuel that they can actually use is a huge question and most often, the things that we're putting in our body are causing our mitochondria to have a very difficult time actually producing fuel that our body can use. And so what happens when you put a lot of one type of fuel in your body, but your body can't convert it into the type of fuel that it actually uses? Well, you could think of it like if you went to the gas station and instead of your you know 87 unleaded that you, that you pump in that the manufacturer designed the engine to use. Uh, you use something completely different. Maybe you put in a diesel or I don't, maybe you put in, um, I don't know, a whole bunch of corn oil or something. <laughs> With the right type of engine, with a diesel engine, or with you know one of those uh, you know eco vegetable oil engine things that that people are working on now, that might be able to convert the fuel that you put in to the to the um, the actual energy that the car uses. But it's got to be the right fuel for the right design, and our bodies similarly need the right type of fuel. So there's really two things that we put in our our body that that tend to give us most of our calories, our our potential for for fuel. And that is fats, and that is carbs. Although these days, there's also a lot of protein consumption, which kind of becomes its own interesting thing. But for now, we're gonna talk a little bit more about carbs and fats. And before we even talk about carbs, We're going to talk about some different types of fats because some of the fuels that we can put in our body not only don't work very well, but they actually break other things down and cause inflammation that just makes it almost impossible to do anything, even if we put the right fuel in. So let's talk about those different types of fats, where they come from, where we tend to see them in our diets, and whether or not they're a source of energy that our body can actually use. There's two main
0: categories of fat. There's toxic fat and then there's healthy fat. And it's a pretty simple distinction to figure out which category of fat falls in. If it's uh, man-made and industrially produced, you can just about be guaranteed that it's toxic and unhealthy. And if nature made it, uh, you can just about be guaranteed that it's healthy and good for you as with, uh, most things in life. So, Let's talk about the the toxic fats first, and the worst of all of them, which are trans fats.
1: Trans fats.
0: (laughs) So you may have heard this, Dr. Eric, um, but trans fats are actually banned in uh, a lot of states. I I believe it's like a nationwide ban. Like You're not allowed to use partially hydrogenated oils in food anymore.
1: Which is weird because they keep showing up anyway, yeah. even on foods that say zero grams trans fat.
0: Yes, true. But I actually think that they're, they're getting rid of partially hydrogenated oils. And what partially hydrogenated oils do is they keep oil and water together. And if everything I've ever learned in the world um, tells me that oil and water are not meant to be kept together. They separate. <laughs> Because they've been designed to repel one another, and it's like this man-made effort to keep together things which should be separate. And it creates, yes, nice velvety texture to ice cream, and makes baked goods last for millennia. Um, But when they get inside of our bodies, they wreak havoc. They cause mega confusion, cellular damage, and drive us towards chronic inflammatory diseases. So... If you see anything that says partially hydrogenated blank oil, throw it away and run for your life. <laughs> You'll see it on like microwave. You can finish
1: the rest of your shopping first before you run for your life.
0: Well, no, look in your pantry. Look in your, your fridge because this stuff is in ice cream and your freezer. Um, it's in like ice cream popsicles and creamsicle type things. It's in cook.
1: It's, cook- in, it's in everything. Anything that has <laughs> it's in everything. Go go in your cabinets right now, pause the podcast or, or or keep it on in your your earbuds or whatever. Uh look at anything that was boxed prepackaged. You're gonna start to see mono and diglycerides. You're gonna start to see hydrogenated oils. You'll see it in all kinds of prepackaged foods. You'll see it in meats. You'll see it in cheeses. You'll see it in spreads and creams. You'll see it in sauces. You'll see it in ice cream and and dessert type items. Uh, it's even in uh, uh, the the cream that Starbucks uses on all of their 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 frilly drinks. Mono and diglycerides, right let there. Me, you let me can me touch on up. that real quick. The yeah. mono
0: and diglyceride thing. So. The FDA said you can't have partially hydrogenated oils anymore. Mm -hmm. And these companies said, oh, crap, what are we going to do? How are we going to keep oil and water together to keep solving this problem of uh, food going bad? So that's where they turn to mono and diglycerides. Mm -hmm. And those do the same thing. Uh, And my understanding is they don't have quite as many trans fats, but they still are trans fats. Not quite enough to qualify on the label as a gram of trans fat because they keep the serving size so small, but they're plenty high to do damage within our bodies and cause us to not be able to metabolize the fat within us efficiently. And they they wreck our metabolism. They cause inflammation and they really put us in a world of hurt.
1: Exactly. So, whether it is the hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated oils, whether it is mono and diglycerides, they're trans fats. You want to stay away from them. They're not going to help you at all solve this energy crisis because they're not only a poor source of fuel, they're just a wrench thrown in the whole engine that's going to, even if you tried to put the right fuel in, make it really hard for your cells to know what to do with it because of the inflammation and the confusion. they cause so the number one thing most americans and people throughout the world need to do right now to start solving that energy crisis and solving all of those symptoms and that anger that we talked about is to ruthlessly find and eliminate those hydrogenated partially hydrogenated mono and diglycerides from the foods would, you, would you put like the sunflower and soy lectin in the same category? That gets a little bit confusing. Um, so once we get into the category of emulsifiers, yeah. which is just... Which
0: monodiglycerides are emulsifiers. They
1: are, they are. Um, but we can also start to get into some of the different gums, uh, all the, the guaur, xanthan, acacia. There's a million different carob. There's all these different gums that function similarly. And some of them can be... More on the trans fat side, some of them are just problematic for their own reasons. Um so for now, just to keep it simple so that people are throwing away you know only seventy five percent of <laughs> what's in their coverage instead of ninety nine percent of it, uh, maybe we'll save the all the lecithins and the mm. And the gums and the other emulsifiers for all right for a later chapter
0: i've been i've been also throwing those in jail with the monodiglycerides and hanging them as well
1: yeah i mean they, they probably you know belong to to you know be you know they, they probably don't deserve due process of law yeah they're they're dirty dirty criminals all right so ruthlessly eliminate trans fats You'll see them labeled on your food as mono diglycerides. You'll see them as partially hydrogenated or hydrogenated oils. And listen, when you go out to eat or when you consume things like, like ice cream out, when you, when you uh, have soft serve, if you go to any of the, the different you know, dairy dessert places, if you uh, get the you know, creamy stuff at, at Starbucks or other coffee places, go online, they have to publish their ingredients. Look for those things, you will be surprised that it is in everything.
0: So that's number one. Number two is vegetable oil. So, vegetable oil, again, kind of like monodiglycerides, is in just about everything. And much like uh, monodiglycerides, it has a similar effect within our bodies, which is it causes a free radical production. Uh, oxidative damage, stress on our immune system, inflammation, and leads to, and has been linked to, a host of chronic diseases from diabetes to Alzheimer's to heart disease to obesity.
1: Exactly. So these vegetable oils, uh, there's, there's two issues with them. Actually, three issues, we'll say. Number one is because of the way that they're produced, which is, as Dr. Matt said earlier, not natural. It's this high heat, high pressure, uh, big industrial process that takes something like a kernel of corn and turns it into oil, produces a damaged product at, a, at, a, at a, um, uh, a molecular level that does not communicate well with our body, that can cause things like reactive chains of explosive free radicals that can damage our cells. So more of that inflammatory wrench in the motor problem. And then the second thing is they're also really high in omega-6 fatty acids. And these omega-6s, while they're okay when everything is balanced in the body, when they're unbalanced, act like a car that has a gas pedal but no brake pedal. And the gas pedal of this car propels us towards inflammation So there's more to get into that, but for now, just know that things that are high in omega-6s, when they're consumed in excess, which they most certainly are with our standard American diet, and especially when most of our oils are these vegetable oils, stimulates an increase in inflammation in the body. And then the third thing is they're just a bad fuel source. (laughs) We put them into our cells, and they can kind of give us some energy but not very much
0: you heard heard this analogy where it's like you're driving a pickup truck pickup truck down the road that runs off of traditional gasoline and you're just about out of gas but in the back of the pickup truck you've got this huge fuel tank but inside the fuel tank is diesel fuel (laughs) and it's like you yeah you've got a bunch of fuel but your body really can't use it because it doesn't have that type of engine
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so when we use vegetable oils, or or more broadly, the category of polyunsaturated fatty acids, they might be the fuel for some other type of car, but not the kind of car that we're driving. So we've got to make sure when we're solving the energy crisis in our bodies that we're giving it the right type of fuel. But oh my goodness, Dr. Matt, if our diets are so full of these trans fatty acids and these polyunsaturated fatty acids and they're so inflamed and so gunked up well i mean isn't our car just instantly going to come to a screeching halt i mean how do we how do we cope at all What, what 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 happens now where do we get energy from i mean from carbs carbs yeah oh hmm so why would our bodies start to look for carbs
0: Yeah, it's a great, great question. Because of the inability to find sufficient energy from fat, which is the preferred energy source within our body, we look elsewhere to carbs. And we train ourselves that we're going to get a steady flow of carbs into our diet. And I don't know if you heard this, you know, when you were a personal trainer before you became a a doctor of PT, that, you know, you're supposed to eat six meals a day at least.
1: Oh, absolutely. Okay. If not more or graze all day long. Crazy. Eat yeah. every two hours. Yeah. Two hours.
0: I, I remember I, w- I started tracking my calories on my fitness pal. I wanted to lose like 10 pounds, maybe 10 years ago. And I would be so hungry two hours after I'd eat that I'd get lightheaded and I'd have more carbs and I'd feel fine. Solved the problem. And then two hours later, I'd be so hungry that I needed something, more carbs. And I always craved carbs, but I think it was because I was, you know, I was eating vegetable oil and steady diet of carbs and I had trained myself, okay, you're not going to get energy from fat because your fat is probably dysfunctional. So you need carbs constantly. And now that I'm more attuned to eating healthy fats and not toxic fats, I can go from breakfast to lunch uh, or from dinner one day till dinner the next without eating and have fairly steady energy the entire time, which is crazy. It's like, I could have never done that
1: yeah it's yeah. it's unbelievable uh, you know my education starting in really even in, in high school uh, but then you know continuing in undergrad where I studied exercise physiology and then even into the, the the doctorate level training that we receive for physical therapy everything about nutrition all revolves around healthy amounts of unhealthy carbs <laughs> <laughs> like I said that yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's all about the, you know, the, the low fat, um, you know, but when I say healthy carbs, I'm talking, most people say, oh, you know, don't have a bunch of sugar. That's bad. Don't have a bunch of corn syrup. That's bad. But, oh, you know, whole grains. Yeah. Go to town. Fruits. Eat them. Oatmeal. Yeah. And because you got to keep your blood sugar balanced. Oh, eat small meals every two hours or just start to, to graze. The reason that this temporarily solves that energy crisis is because it's really easy for our body to quickly convert carbohydrates into the glucose that can go into our bloodstream and give us a spike in energy. But it's not just into our, the, the blood vessels in our bodies, into our muscles and things like that, but it's directly to our brain. Those glucose Molecules are small enough to cross something called the blood brain barrier, which is basically the the world's best defense system if you're a brain. <laughs> <laughs> and because those glucose molecules can cross that, they quickly reach the brain. And that brain is a really energy hungry organ. At rest, it takes something like twenty percent of our total energy, which is wild. Yeah, and before we get too much further into carbs,
0: I just want to tell people uh, the six common vegetable oils that you'll see. So the three C's corn, canola, cottonseed, and the three S's soy, sunflower and safflower oil. So if you see those in any of the, the processed foods, you eat salad dressings. Um, if you're cooking with any of those oils, throw them out, get rid of them, um, (laughs) avoid them like the plague and replace them instead with healthy, natural fats, which we're going to get into soon.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Let's see. Can I, can I rattle that off as quickly as you did? Sunflower, safflower, soy, bean, <laughs> corn, canola, cottonseed. Boom. Yeah. Not a lot of cottonseed these days, though. No. Still lots of corn. Yeah. Still lots of canola. Lots of canola. Yeah. You'll see it in lots of uh, so, supposedly healthy foods. You'll see it in hummus, a lot of canola oil. You'll see it in hummus. dressings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody says it that hummus? way. Hummus? No? No? I don't know. Yeah. If you know how to pronounce hummus, let us know. Yeah, please. Hummus? Hummus? Get rid of them. Okay, back to carbs. So we look for carbs because they become this quick source of energy. But the problem is that it only works in the very short term because our bodies can't hold a lot of it at any given time. In fact, the amount of sugar that your blood can hold is about a teaspoon, about Four grams which is a really small amount that's only 16 calories worth and then you can hold a few hundred more in your uh, in your muscles and in your liver in the form of glycogen but that really doesn't leave you with mu- much more than two hours of energy mm. after two hours your body needs more and the problem is that the longer that you are in this dependency on a constant influx of carbohydrates, the longer it will ever be before your body can actually metabolize its own fat to help you lose weight. The other big problem is that it's got to regulate, your body has to regulate that sugar on a really, really, really tight leash because it quickly becomes toxic in the blood. And in order to regulate it, it has to use the hormone insulin. And that's a really hot topic right now as everybody and their brother is diabetic or pre-diabetic or approaching pre-diabetes. Everybody's talking about insulin. And yet the way that we're trying to control it is very codependent. We continue to give ourselves the carbohydrates that our body has to regulate with insulin and then we just try to be more and more clever with how we do it, which is why we end up eating every two hours or just grazing a little bit all day long. And that's that's the the recommendation these days. That's the that's the big thing. And it's so many people are like, "Oh, I'm so good with my food. I, I eat little meals every two hours, and, and I and I start eating as soon as I wake up because that I know that gets my metabolism going. And I want a really fast metabolism so I can lose weight. But why does a A fast metabolism why does starting your day eating as soon as possible to try to get your body burning calories a really terrible idea when you're in an energy crisis well let's let's go back to our car analogy and let's talk about the difference between a gas guzzler and a fuel sipper
0: (laughs) yeah so uh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna answer your question exactly the way you wanted to answer I
1: tried to set you up here we'll see if it happens yeah
0: (laughs) So somebody that's in an energy crisis that constantly needs fuel is going to always be hungry and you're going to eat foods. You're going to crave foods that tend to spike insulin. So if you eat a bunch and you eat a bunch of carbs, you're constantly spiking insulin. Every time insulin spikes, you store fat and you store fat and you store fat. And some people can get away with this, um, by restricting their calories, uh, but eventually, the metabolism catches up; it slows down, and people are left frustrated and stuck and wondering why, you know, they've gained the weight back that they've lost. And this is why most diets fail, because instead of fixing fixing the energy crisis, we've just tried to solve it by giving people less of the dysfunctional fuel that they were already eating, mm-hmm. which is the big problem. And, and whether you're doing, I, I've heard from a ton of people about Optivia lately.
1: No. Oh. I've never heard of Optivia. Never heard it. I hear it no. from like
0: a ton of people I talk to on the phone. Wow. Um, they're like, yeah, I've tried Octavia, I lost weight, but I gained it all back. That's like the sentence that but I hear. It's I like feel a, like
1: Octavia then could just be a fill in the blank for a hundred other things. Sure, it could be. <laughs> yeah.
0: And really, it's like an ultra low calorie supplement sort of thing that people take. Okay. Um, but people go from eating, you know, 3,000 calories a day to 1,200. and Yeah, you're going to lose weight but if you don't fix the energy problem, you're going to have all those symptoms we talked about. You're going to be hangry. You're going to be lightheaded.
1: Life is going to be a battle of willpower.
0: Yeah. And eventually we humans lose the battle of willpower. There's got to be a, every time there's got to be a better way. And there is.
1: And if you don't lose the battle of willpower with your own eating habits, you will lose it in all of your relationships and <laughs> everything else that take willpower. You become an angry, mean, bitter, cold, lonely person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man right. how did I do with your uh, analogy about the car did oh, I totally pretty, drop pre- the ball
1: pre- no pretty good um, so if we go back to this this whole car analogy the first problem are these vegetable oils and especially these trans fats that are just throwing wrenches into the moving parts of the engine making it really hard for the car it to can't drive be good for the begin. engine no I'm, I'm no mechanic but I know that throwing random tools into moving parts is a bad idea real bad real bad Uh, Number two is we're using the wrong type of fuel for the engine's design. Number three is that once we start using carbohydrates to solve that fuel problem, we end up with a car that is a gas guzzler rather than a fuel sipper. And while you would think that consuming more or, or burning more calories, so to speak, would help you lose weight, Losing weight is really about your body actually shedding stuff that's currently on it, not about burning through stuff that you're putting in your mouth. And so the problem with trying to get a really fast metabolism is that all you end up doing is burning calories that you consume. And you don't wanna be driving a car that gets three miles to the gallon. Nobody would buy that car. You want the car that gets 30, 40, 50 miles to the gallon I won't give my opinions on electric cars because I don't think they're good for the environment. But that will be a completely different podcast that will never be published.
0: (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to add before we bring it in for landing and talk about what people actually should eat?
1: Oh, no, I'm dying. I have to know how can I be this efficient car? How can I get the right fuel? How can I actually finally lose weight? And how can I not have to do it while struggling immensely with my own willpower and cravings?
0: Eat healthy fat.
1: Eat healthy fats,
0: which is our first village principle. We walk people through 12 village principles here, whether they're in our, our online V 23 program, whether they're in small group training, one-on-one training, physical therapy, we walk them through these 12 principles and we see as one of the most important principles for losing weight, for increasing energy, for maintaining your independence and mobility as you age is eating healthy fat and avoiding toxic dysfunctional fat. So what is a healthy fat? Well, any sort of animal or animal product that's been sourced responsibly, which we'll get into on a later podcast, Um, any sort of nut or seed, avocados, um, oily fish, um, what else, am I missing any of the big categories?
1: No, uh, avocados, olive oil, healthy animal products, nuts and seeds, those are the big sources.
0: And there's a lot of misconception out there around uh, saturated fat from animals being toxic for us. And one of the big eye openers for me was hearing that our body actually stores fat in the form of saturated fat, the fat around your midsection and your butt. It's saturated fat. That's, that's what the body wants in terms of an energy source. And we've been told by the medical and the health world, avoid saturated fat. It's bad for you. And instead eat toxic fat that's man-made because we've, we've figured out a better way than nature to get you
1: energy boy, have we. So our bodies are designed to be very flexible and very adaptable. They're designed to be able to go even days without food with very little effect on our actual ability to use our metabolism and create energy, think clearly, act physically. And part of how our bodies do this incredible thing is through our actual saturated fat stores. One of the problems when you completely eliminate saturated fat from your diet, which many Americans have have been told to do, and replace it with vegetable oils, is that it's very hard for the body to maintain that balance of stored energy and used energy when it's not getting the kind of stuff that it actually uses or stores. And when we consume saturated fats from things like coconut oil, and uh, full-fat dairy products, and butter, and that sort of thing, we're really consuming a fuel that our body knows. It knows how to use it. It knows what it is. It recognizes it. It, it, it. It's familiar. And the same thing with monounsaturated fats. And those are the ones that you find in nuts and seeds, in olive oil, and avocados. And our cells, we go all the way back, the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about the mitochondria, And we started talking about how those polyunsaturated fats and vegetables or vegetable oils, our mitochondria don't really, they can't use that fuel very well. Monounsaturated works extremely well. And then saturated fat works pretty darn well. It works well enough. And when we have a good balance of monounsaturated and saturated fats, which is how they tend to come in nature, then our bodies are going to be really good at, producing long, sustainable energy and storing just a little bit for when we need it in case we ever couldn't eat for a while, which is something that in our modern culture of food just being everywhere constantly, we've kind of lost touch with. Hmm. It hasn't really been much of history that people have just had tons of food all day long so that they could just have a snack, have a snack, have a meal, have a snack, have a meal, have a snack. And I'm not even talking about the whole paleo thing of, you know, hunter gatherers and fasting and famine and, you know, going days while they're hunting a woolly mammoth. <laughs> I'm just talking about a hundred years ago. It, it wasn't like people were just constantly eating the way that right. they are today. We didn't have all of the modern things like refrigeration that allows food to just be around all the time. We didn't have all of the non-perishable Uh, Food uh, state, shelf-stable foods that just allow it to always be ubiquitous. Instead, we had fresh foods that came from things like gardens that you pretty much picked and then you ate. And you might not always be around a garden, (laughs) so you might have to wait a little while till you got to eat again. Uh, Meat, we didn't just constantly have meat everywhere. You might have to wait a little while before you you got to eat it. You might have to wait till the cows got milked again before you (laughs) had your milk. And so just naturally, we would do what now we consider this this weird thing called intermittent fasting. But back in the day, it, it was really just nobody thought they were fasting. They just weren't constantly eating. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're
0: going to get really practical here um, because there's a very specific order that you want to go about implementing these things into your life. I, I've seen a lot of stuff about people asking, you know, should I do the ketogenic diet? Should I do the Uh, intermittent fasting thing, which is very popular right now. And I see a lot of people get themselves into trouble when they just jump into either one of those.
1: Tons of trouble.
0: Um, Like you you may have heard of the keto flu. You may have heard of people doing intermittent fasting and passing out. Um, And and really, if you think about it, you should at this time start to understand that, okay, maybe they can't do keto and burn their own fat for fuel because they have dysfunctional fat within their body. And if you intermittent fast, you're now relying on your body fat. And if it's you know, dysfunctional, you're, you've got diesel fuel for body fat when you burn regular fuel. I don't even know what regular fuel is called. (laughs) Conventional fuel. I'm a, I'm a physical therapist, fitness, nutrition guy, so don't know cars. Anyways. Um, first, first step, get rid of trans fats. Second step, get rid of vegetable oil. Give yourself a couple weeks where you're, you're not eating those things. Start to add back in healthy fats instead of those trans fats and vegetable oils. That's step one. Get rid of dysfunctional toxic fat. Eat healthy fats. Don't step on the scale. Don't change your carb intake. Just, just start eating healthy fats and don't eat toxic ones.
1: Number two, slightly change your carbs. And when I say slightly, what I mean is you don't have to eliminate them all and go keto and do something like that. But what you do need to do is start to get your blood sugar and your insulin response under control. And you need to get away from the really, really, really fast non-nutritious carbs that are in most of our food and into some healthier versions, which we're going to go in depth on this in our next podcast. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: for today, if you're listening to this, your mission is to go into your cupboards, your pantry, your freezer, and find anything with partially hydrogenated oils, um, mono and diglycerides, uh, sunflower, soy, safflower oil, canola, corn, (laughs) cottonseed oil, and get rid of it. (laughs) And then go to the store, buy yourself a good cooking oil like ghee or avocado oil or coconut oil, Um, even uh, olive oil, if you probably have that around. It doesn't have a super high smoke point. Should we talk
1: really quick quick about uh, cooking temperature? I think we should save that. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to do it. it. I'm going to do it. it. I'm going to do it. If you're cooking... Use avocado oil, use coconut oil. If you're putting something on a salad that's not being cooked, pretty much any oil is fine. I would recommend olive oil. Olive oil is okay for really low temperature cooking, sauteing, low temperature sauteing. I just don't want you to go get olive oil and then go turn your flame on your stove crazy, crazy Mm -hmm. high and then destroy all the oil. So if you're cooking at a pretty high temperature, avocado, coconut, if you're cooking at a low temperature, olive oil, and then anything that doesn't have heat. Like if you're making a salad dressing, olive oil is great. You can use just about anything you want because it's not being destroyed by heat.
0: Cool. (laughs) I like it. You do that, you're going to really set yourself up for success and wait for next week when we talk about carbs.
1: Carbs.